What's up, Facebook and a podcast world? Uh, we are back with another amazing edition. This is Real Estate Uncensored, where you guys can get all of your real estate questions answered. Um, we have got an amazing show today. Absolutely knock out of the park amazing show. The Johnson face is, has black hearted and has no desire to be a part of our lives anymore, at least for one day. Um, <laughs> so I got the Evil Bald Ninja co-hosting with me today. And, uh, you know, we have an amazing guest, JC Castile. He is, a, I had him on my radio show. He, I mean, we aren't even going to baby finger scratch his brain with the amount of knowledge he has on multifamily, how to buy stuff, how to manage it, how he got started, the whole nine yards. But if you guys are looking to get into multifamily, this is the dude you want to hang out with. I've hung out with him several times in person. Ridiculously good person, not only business, but just as a guy. But we'll get into his story in a minute. But first, I got to bring in the evil bald ninja. I'm looking behind me for the guy yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> is, he, is he walking in? Any, where's this guy at, man? I got. I want to meet him too. We all do. We all want to meet this legend. But who? Who is that Kaiser Sosa? We never know if he's going to show up or who he is. Exactly. <laughs> um, but Gene, the evil bald ninja, welcome, my friend. Good to see you, brother. Listen, it's always, and I did it again, damn it. I always start with, listen, I hate it. Um, Me too. So start, we're going to start a charity fund coming up. Every time I say the word listen, we're going to put money in a jar, like a swear jar, and donate it to some cancer fund or something. So, or, 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 or we can donate, donate to a wig-making co company because you're bald as shit. You know, <laughs> give, give you some hair. <laughs> wow. Listen, I can get a wig, and I just did it again. I can get a wig, but I can't fix ugly for you, my man. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait, wait. So I want to talk about something real quick. So, All right. First what of all, got? thanks for having me back. It's always wonderful to be here. But I want to, course, I want to ask you a question. You ever hear the stories about uh, Richard Branson? Right? Yeah, the, it's crazy the, stuff. Yeah, so the CEO of Virgin, right? So I so I, I read the books, and I'm looking at all this stuff, and I found out one day that he actually owns and operates over 300 companies, mm -hmm. okay? And fr from somebody who operates and owns one company, that blows my mind. So I'm always sitting, and I'm thinking to myself, structurally, if he can run 300, why can't I run four, right? Okay. So you bring on JC, and we start talking about multifamily properties and units, and I ask the question, how many properties do you have? And what did he say? 719. 719. He's like the Richard Branson of apartment complexes. How the hell? So I'm excited to see this thing because how do you run and own and operate and do what and clean and paint and do flip and rent 719 properties? We're going to talk about that today? Oh, we're going to talk about everything, dude. Everything, but Let's dude. Go. Joe, 17, dude, 719 units, not necessarily 719 properties. Um, that would be oh, that would be even nothing. on another level. Never yeah. So we Never have mind. JC. We have a guy named Ronnie Phillip. Uh, he is out of the uh, you know the. Dallas I, I know. Area. I know Ronnie Phillip. Yeah, he I runs a Propelio TV. Yep. Yep. He's like JC's the man. So yes. JC's rocking hard. So dude, first off, JC, dude, welcome. I'm so pumped to be glad that you're uh, finally a part of the second one of my shows. Uh, and I know what you did in the first one. So kind of give people a little bit of an idea of your history, kind of who you are, how you got into this, the whole nine yards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, you, you gave me a little bit of a background on your audience. And so, you know, a lot of your audience are, are realtors, brokers that are kind of either getting their start or making their way in the, in the broker world and uh, setting the world on fire, selling homes. Um, me, myself, I have a little bit of a different path, but I think we've all arrived in the same location. Um, I'm a uh, engineer by, by degree and by background, and I've got about a 20-year uh, history in the semiconductor world. I, I live in San Jose, California, so I'm a Silicon Valley guy. Uh, I'm an ex-techie is, is what I like to tell people. <laughs> and, um, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I kind of realized that I, I really had a passion for real estate. Um, and so what I did was I started – 
you know, just like most people, I bought a couple of single family home rentals uh, some many, many, many years ago uh, and uh, sold those properties, uh, had a full time engineering job the whole time. But I realized that I just didn't have enough time to manage those single family homes and to also work because work is, was, is, was pretty, was pretty uh, intense. Um, so I started going to a bunch of real estate investor clubs and reading a lot of books on how to do real estate, but actually not um, work as hard at it, how to scale it better. Mm. And a lot of the people that I met uh, at these real estate networking clubs that had a lot of time on their hands and were very successful, I noticed that there were a lot of patterns that I saw were that they were investing in apartments or multifamily. They were buying big properties. And so a little light bulb went off and I started just investigating further uh, with these folks and seeing what they did. And um, that's kind of how I got stumbled into uh, apartments. So, you know, I had sold uh, my single family rentals and I had made some money and basically uh, read a lot of books, uh, went to a few seminars and talked to a lot of people. And I took my money and I bought uh, a, a couple of apartment properties with another buddy um, we went 50-50 on the deals. We bought uh, 74 units uh, over two properties in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, hmm. specifically in, in a city called Garland in DFW in Texas. And that was kind of the uh, beginning of my multifamily investment career. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, my uh, my dad's been a huge proponent of uh, of multifamily as long as I've, I've, I've as I've been around. You know, he's owned multiple different buildings. He's built a couple of multifamily properties. Um, he's looking to buy more now and he's, I would never understood it, but when, you know, I went, I attended one of your events, um, you know, and so people, if people are interested, where, I mean, what's your event, what, what's your organization called if they, if they want to get into this? Cause I it was so information heavy, my head hurt, but it was so good. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we basically host here in the, in the Bay area. Um, we host, uh, an event called the apartment investor network. It's basically uh, an organization that meets about maybe once every two, three months or so. We typically have it at a nice hotel, like we usually have it at the San Mateo Marriott, uh, right off the 92 and the 101. And um, and we basically talk about all things multifamily. We are 100% dedicated to multifamily. We don't talk about single family homes. We don't talk about senior care facilities. We don't talk about um, mobile home parks, those are all probably great investments as well, but we are focused on multifamily. And so we're one of the few organizations in the Bay Area for real estate, at least, that is specifically focused on multifamily. So if people want to check our uh, meetings out, they can go to our Facebook page. They can go to uh, Facebook and just search for Apartment Investor Network, and uh, they'll find us pretty easily. They can like us. Uh, one of the other things we're doing now is we're live streaming the events because we have a lot of people that want to join from uh, other areas. So if you happen to not live in the Bay Area and you're watching this and you wanted to be a part of the Apartment Investor Network, um, we host Facebook Live uh, feeds for free um, for all the meetings that we'll do moving forward as well. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that means Gene can watch it all the way over in Philly. As, uh, he sure as can. He sh as he should, damn it, Gene. I agree. Uh, okay, so one thing my dad has always told me is like, you know, we look. He looks back, and we have a revisionist history. And he says, "You know, Greg, we should have bought every single property that we ever listed." And I'm like, "You are a fucking retard. We would never have made any money." Jesus Christ. 
And, uh, but I mean, think about it. Imagine. And then you said, dear old dad, after you told him. Yeah. yeah, You're a retard, dear old dad, (laughs) AKA the grandmaster, me, Papa, the G, the T Diddy. Uh, but how do agents even get started in this? Cause we're so we're, we're goldfish. We just see what's directly in front of us. We don't look around and we don't, we certainly don't think about putting stuff away for the, for the future. So how, what was that like? You said a light bulb went off and you're like, bing, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm doing this wrong. What was that light bulb and how in the heck did you make that shift mentally and then putting it into action to start buying properties? Well, it's such a, it's such a great question. And I think the light bulb moment for me is we, you know, we all kind of have our paths in life. And like I said, we've all sort of came to this to be on the show together talking about real estate. So, but the way we got here is different. So my light bulb moment really came um, in uh, 2001 when September 11 happened, mm. and um, basically I got laid off from my job. I had been in technology for maybe four years or so. I was working my butt off just like any other young kid that wanted to make a name for themselves in, in their chosen career path. I got laid off, and um, and I was at home, and I was just thinking, you know, I had bought myself a, a pretty nice condo. Um, and I had roommates that were kind of helping pay the rent, uh, but I had a mortgage. I had a, I had a mortgage over my head, and I realized at that point that I was pretty helpless if I were to get laid off. Uh, not that I didn't love what I was doing, and I still wanted to be an engineer and be have that career, but I, I, at that point, the light bulb moment was, hey, I have to figure out how to, how to fend for myself, if you will, in case the economy turns again and I get laid off again, and then I'm not sort of in a, in a pinch. And in the realty world, as if I could relate back to your listeners or your viewership, it would be the last five years have been phenomenal for if for brokers and single family, I'm sure. Uh, houses have been flying off the shelves. And so I'm sure that these guys are making money, or at least they see a lot of people making money. And, you know, realtors also can be flashy. They can have nice cars. <laughs> they certainly make good money. So you, you kind of get into this idea that that's going to always happen. You're always going to be making money. But, you know, sometimes recessions happen. Sometimes things happen just like when I got laid off in the semiconductor world, uh, when that happens, that's a pain point and that's a transitional period that where you have to really, are you going to change what you're doing? Are you, or are you going to do, keep doing the same old thing? So, you know, when that sort of light bulb moment happened for me, I really figured out that I was going to start creating uh, real estate investment income. That was my deal. So the way I thought about it was I'm still going to go get another job, but this time what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on, you know, not spending as lavishly as maybe I, I once did, but instead I'm going to actually take that uh, money that I'm making from my W-2 income, my W-2 job, right? And I'm going to start investing it in uh, in real estate. And at first it was single family homes, but then it became apartments after that for the reasons I mentioned. Um, but it's all the same thing. I wanted to start generating positive cash flow that would start coming in from all these rentals. And so eventually my idea was eventually if I worked hard enough, I could maybe even have enough rentals to, if I wanted to, to stop working in technology and just manage my real estate business full time. Now, fast forward, that did happen. Uh, it took, you know, several years, um, but that's exactly sort of my light bulb moment and, and, and why I did what I did. The book that kind of brought it all together for me at that same time when 2001 hit was uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. I, read, I read that book and it like, it spoke to me about all the things that I had thought that I was supposed to be doing when I went to college and got a degree and how my parents taught me what I thought was the right thing. And I realized, hey, wait a minute, it's not the right thing, right? I've been, my whole life, I've been wanting to buy a home, first thing I do. 
Well, a home is basically, uh, as Robert teaches, is, is a liability. It takes money out of your pocket. And that's okay because I own homes now. Um, but you have to understand that a home is a liability. An investment property or an asset puts money in your pocket. Mm. So when you buy an apartment property, it's an asset because there's cash flow, positive cash flow that comes into your pocket after you pay your mortgage. And so that is a, an asset that puts money in your pocket. So that's what you want to own. A single family home that you own for your private residence is a liability because you have to pay the mortgage yourself. Yeah. If something goes wrong with the roof, you got to take care of it. It's taking money out of your pocket. So that little light bulb understanding that and going, wait a minute, don't try to buy another bigger single family home for yourself. Go buy a, re a rental properties and apartments and let that generate income. And then that income can actually go pay for your house down mm. the road. So that was what really kind of flipped and blew my mind. And, and once I embraced that strategy, I went for it. That's awesome. That, that, that's a really, it's a really good thing to look at. I mean, it is a liability. You, you live in a liability because you, that is a month, every month on the first or whatever your mortgage payments do, you got to cut a check. And the same thing, like you said, it's an asset for the renters when you, when you buy a property, two, four, whatever numbers to start with, you know, because then every month you get to go collect money. So much more exactly. fun than paying the money. So let's dive into looking and analyzing properties. Now, when I first met you, and I'm still a buffoon when it comes to multifamily, <laughs> I, 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 hit, I hit JC. Well, actually, let's just run the scenario that I gave you, right? Yeah. So I found a couple uh, last week, I think. I think it was last week. I found a property guy. He's you know, I was doing my beers and calls show, and he's like, "Hey, I want to sell my eight units," and I'm all excited. I'm like, oh, "Who am I going to call? I'm going to text JC. JC, what do I do?" And so totally. let's let's look at this. Well, let's do a four unit instead of an eight unit, just so it's residential financing. Yep. What should people be looking at to see if maybe it's a good deal when they come across these hot leads instead of turning around, listing it, buying that thing and creating wealth. So let's walk down that path of what to look for. Yeah. The two things you really want to focus on, the most important things when you're looking for your first property, um, and they're really uh, related back to what I call being a... Um, a long-term investor. So I myself am not a flipper. So I don't buy properties and try to sell them in two years. That's just not my style. I'm going to keep them for a long time. So if you're if you're not a flipper, if you're a long-term investor, usually you're taking less risk because you know it's great to be a flipper when the market's going up, and it's like horrible to be a flipper whether you're doing single-family homes or or apartments to be a seller in a down market. So if you're a long-term investor, what you want to look for if you're looking for your first four-unit property is two things. One is location. And the second thing is you want to look at the financials. Um, and the third thing, which I think is an X factor, is you want to look and see if there's any value creation potential. So first thing is location. Talk about location. So, you know, location, you don't have to be a genius to figure out that you kind of want to, one of my good buddies has a, the way to per perfectly put it is don't buy in the hood. Okay. <laughs> I mean, let's just be, 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 be quite honest about it, right? I mean, all of us came from, some of us came from humble beginnings. I know I did. I know what a hood looks like. I know what a hood smells like. If I see a hood and I smell a hood, I'm not buying in that prop that property in that market. Um, that really doesn't why? mean you can't buy in. Well, because the one thing about crime, unfortunately, is it's really hard to value add around crime. Meaning that I can spend all the money I want to fix up a property and make it look really great. You know, put lots of money into the interiors. But if it's surrounded by a really crime-ridden area, um, that crime-ridden area is just going to eat that property up and going to say, hey. We're turning this into a dump, no matter how much you want to fight it. Mm. So now that doesn't mean that all neighborhoods 
are, 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 are tough and rough neighborhoods. That just means that there's good, what I would call blue collar workforce neighborhoods, which are perfectly great investment areas, but stay away from the hood. That's, you know, your big thing. Look for the locations that have, you know, a, a, a really kind of a decent demographic um, that is um, not in a war zone. That's so number one, the location. Don't, don't buy where Matt lives is what you're saying. Basically, stay away from Matt where Matt lives, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's not even here to defend himself. That's the best thing yeah. about this. Okay, so, so no, don't buy in the hood. Gotcha. Yeah, no, number two is financials. Um, so, you know, unlike single-family homes, uh, apartment properties are, are valued based on performance. They're like a little business, right? You can think of a property that you're going to buy as a little mini business, so mm -hmm. if you're going to buy a business, you're going to you're going to want to buy the business based on how it's performing. <laughs> the more profits that a business makes, the more you're probably going to be willing to pay for that business. Well, apartment properties work the same way. And the way that I explain the difference between single family home and a, and a multifamily is if I tell you, Greg, how much is your your single your personal house worth? What are you going to tell me? About 400 grand. Right. But how do you know that? How do you know it's worth 400,000 comps? Exactly. So comparables are the way that a, the single family home is valued, right? The way that a multifamily property is valued is based on the cap rate method. And it's basically a formula, okay? So your value equals your net operating income, which is basically your profits divided by your cap rate. So for example, if you have a, uh, if you wanna know what the value is for a property, let's say that that property is generating $100,000 in net operating income or profits, and again, profits, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, profits are basically your revenue minus your expenses, which is basically your rents minus your expenses gives you your profit. We call it net operating income. Net operating income of 100,000, let's say that the going cap rate in a neighborhood is a 10% cap rate. That you good? take that 100,000, divide by 10%, you get a million dollars. So the value of that property, if it's generating $100,000, and the going cap rate for those sorts of properties in that neighborhood is a 10 cap, you would be willing to pay a million dollars to buy that property because it's a, it's a 10 cap deal and gener generating $100,000 of income. So we value properties in multifamily based on profits, performance. And so when, you, when I say that financials are important, it's basically like, let's say that you're gonna go out and buy a business and you have no idea how the business is profitable what if it's negative profits? What if it's what if it's like completely vacant and you have all these expenses and you don't know you go buy the property and you're completely screwed because you basically are negative cash flow. So financials are the second most important thing you want to do in understanding how to underwrite a property and understand how that property is performing is really going to be the difference between making an offer to buy it or actually deciding not to buy it. So when you say underwrite it, just describe underwriting. What, what does that mean? Does that mean making an offer? Underwriting is the process of financially analyzing how the property is doing. So basically what it means is it me it's basically becoming like a detective. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you're a detective and you want to know how the murder happened or how a crime happened. Well, you're going to go and look at all of the facts. You're going to gather the facts and then you're going to basically, once you gather all the facts, you're going to be able to figure out why the, the, the crime happened. We are like detectives. When we underwrite a deal, we're gonna look at all of the historical financials. So I'm gonna ask a seller to send me things like a, a, a historical uh, income statement for the last 12 months, which is gonna tell me, this is how much each month he's bringing in for rents. 
This is how much each month he's spending on expenses. This is how much after that is left over for profits. So now I actually know, based on all these facts that I'm gathering, I know how the property is performing from a profitability perspective. And remember when I told you about the the the, the formula to value a property, mm-hmm. you need that profitability historicals in order to, to know how much you're going to pay for that property. So how do you find so a cap that's rate? That's why how, you need it. How do you, I mean, is a, ca- is a 10 cap normal? Is it abnormal? Is it good? Is it bad? I mean, how, and how do, you, how do you make a cap rate? Right. So first of all, let's talk about what a cap rate is. And I don't want to bore you with the technical details of what a cap rate is. I want to tell you in layman's terms what a cap rate is. That's what Gene needs. Yes. Thank you. So what a cap rate is, (laughs) simply put, simply put, let's say you put a million dollars in the bank and the bank's going to pay you a 5% return on your money. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're making 5% of your money. We would call that in the real estate world and multifamily, we say that's a five cap deal. Oh, okay. Okay. So related back to property, let's say that that you buy a property for a million dollars. And let's say that 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 the, the the guy that's selling it to you sells it at a 10 cap. It means that he's you're getting 10% on a million dollar investment, which is what? 100 grand. Exactly. Bingo. So net operating income is 100,000. So a cap rate is simply tells you how much your returns are you how much your returns are getting based on a property you're purchasing. So in, in other words, words so in other ahead. words, you as the investor, you're setting your own cap rate, something you're willing to take. Well, okay, so there, great question. So cap rates are set by the market. Cap rates are basically set, determined by the average sales price to net, net operating income that's happening in that particular neighborhood. Let me give you a, a good, good way to describe the difference. If I'm going to go buy an apartment property in San Francisco, down the street from where I live, and, and, and Greg knows this, it, re, properties are ridiculously expensive in San Francisco, yeah. and so the cap rates that are, that people are going to be willing to accept in San Francisco are probably like three and four caps. Meaning that if 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 I've got a million dollars to invest and I go and apart, buy a apartment property in San Francisco, the re, the, re, the equivalent returns I'm going to get are probably going to be like three to four percent of my dough, my money. Hmm. That's a three or four cap. Now, if I'm willing to go to like Timbuktu, Texas, like in some Texas corner of the world. It's probably a, there's a good chance I can find a, a deal that will sell for a like a like a seven or an eight cap. And that means that if I take that same million dollars and I go over there in Texas and I buy that property, I'm going to be making a return of seven to eight percent of my money instead of making a return of four percent in San Francisco. Now, a smart person is going to obviously ask the question, well, JC, why would I ever want to buy a property in San Francisco, apartments in San Francisco in that case? Why wouldn't I just want to always buy in a Timbuktu, Texas? And the answer is simply is risk. The reason why cap rates are a lot lower in San Francisco is because it's considered to be a much safer bet. So if you've got a million dollars and you're worried about losing your money, you're probably better off accepting a lower return and buying in San Francisco because that property is going to be not, is the, there's a high likelihood it'll, it'll, it'll not lose money in a downturn. Yes. But in Timbuktu, Texas, even though you're making 7 or 8% of your money, any little thing happens in that market and suddenly, boom, that property goes down in value. So the trade-off between cap rates is basically the lower the cap rate, the less perceived risk there is in that market to buy a property. So that's the difference. Interesting. So you want to diversify yourself a little bit. You know, you want some, you know, low risk like buying in San Francisco, some high, you know, some higher risk in Timbuktu or Texarkana, Texas. 
yeah. uh, where our good friend Veronica lives, which Paul Franklin is ripping on her right Texarkana, now. Texarkana, that is that is a Timbuktu example. Texarkana, Texas. <laughs> you know, and the interesting thing about um, apartments is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it, when you buy a home, uh, you yourself are qualifying for the loan. But in uh, multifamily, the property itself qualifies. Is that correct? That's correct. So, um, and that was sort of a, that was like a big revelation for me uh, when I started doing multifamily. It's like, because when you, we all know when you're going to buy a single family home or even up to a four unit uh, apartment complex, which is considered a um, single family loan or a residential loan, not a commercial loan, mm -hmm. you qualify for the loan based on your personal strength. Basically, you have to submit your your income, your taxes, everything, right? The, the lender looks at your personal strength and says, based on how much you make and how many other properties you own, we're going to give you this loan or not based on that, right? But when you're buying these big 100, 200, 300 unit properties, um, you know, kind of like what we do nowadays, what the bank looks at is the they look at the strength of the asset as the primary reason to lend on the deal, not on your personal uh, strength of, of 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 your finances, and to take it a step further, not only do they lend based on the asset, but in many cases, and we always do this, we like to get what's called a non-recourse loan. A non-recourse loan simply means that that the we have no personal guarantees on that note when we buy the property. So, in the worst case scenario, that that let's say that the economy took a turn for the worst, we bought a property. We couldn't pay the mortgage. It got foreclosed by the bank. Because it's a non-recourse loan, the only thing the bank can do is foreclose and take the, the asset back, mm -hmm. but they cannot come after my personal uh, um, uh, net worth or my personal finances and take any shortfalls uh, from out of my own pocket because the property got into foreclosure. That's a really, really uh, amazing concept that, that I was able to understand and get. And so it changes the game because, as you know, the more single-family homes you own, the harder it is to keep buying more. But actually, you'd be surprised to know the bigger that we've gotten over the years, the easier it is for me to actually do more deals. And so it's easier for me to buy. You may not believe this, but it's easier for me to buy a 200-unit property right now than it is for me to go and try to qualify for a single-family home loan. No, I totally <laughs> believe that. I totally believe that I've seen it happen before. So, but here's here's the question probably everybody's asking. You have a lot of units, which which says a lot about your your P and L, which says a lot about your liability, which says a lot about. So when the bank looks at when the commercial lending institution looks at you, they go first of all the guy's qualified. Second of all, he's already done it 800 times. Third of all, there's a bunch of things in line. So my question as a new investor would be number one. Should I start with a single-family residence first before I get to the four-unit? And these non-recourse loans are they for everybody, or are they only for people that have 100 units? Like where do where? Because I I remember teaching this, and I remember how hard it was for people to understand the commercial lending aspect of it. Because there's also numbers that we need to talk about too, which would make would make a property qualify for that commercial lending piece, right? You got Namely, it. an equity spread. So I want to get into that with you because there's going to be there's a couple questions I know people are asking, but the one I would ask is. Is a recourse – so two questions, two-part. First, should, as a new investor, somebody start with something a little smaller because jumping into a four-unit can be overwhelming? And then the second part of it is would these people be able to out of the gate to, to qualify for non-recourse commercial lending? 
so it's two great questions. So the first one, should you buy a single family home as your first rental or should you buy a fourplex? So if you, if you had asked me when I was first getting started, I'd have told you buy a single family home first. And, and that's what I did, right? I mean, I, I, that's, I really didn't even know too much about multifamily back in those days, but certainly I started with single family. Um, if you ask me now, you know, maybe I've been doing this now for like 13 years later. If you ask me now, should, should I start with a single family or a fourplex? I'd say, I'd actually say if you can get the education, because you got to get the education, but if you can get the education and you can find a fourplex that makes sense that you can buy and you can do it, I would say do that over a single family home with the asterisks um, that you really need to get educated on how these things work because there's a lot more moving parts with an apartment property and there's a little bit more risk because the numbers are bigger. Um, but maybe you partner up with somebody else, right? Maybe two of you guys get together and like I told you how I bought my first two, I couldn't afford to buy 100% of those first 74 units. I could only afford to buy 50%. So my buddy could afford to buy 50% and we were like, great, let's partner up. That diversifies our risk as well, because now I'm only responsible for half of the kitty um, in case something goes bad as well, right? So there's the partnership aspect of it could be a way to get you to that fourplex if you feel like you're not financially able to do it uh, right off the get. But I definitely think if you do your homework correctly, I think a fourplex can work right out of the chute. You know, question for you, you know, when it comes to the properties and let's say you buy a property, I don't know, Walnut Creek, San Jose, whatever, right? Um, and it's kind of a little bit, you, you want to bring, you want, do you want to buy something that's done, like all tricked out? Or do you want to buy something where you can do value add and uh, add additional revenue sources like adding coin laundry or pet fees or Love whatever it. else? So that's like the X factor. So I talked about the, th the, the two things and then the X factor, right? One is location. Two is the financials. Three is if there's a value play. Let's talk about a value play. So what's mm -hmm. a value play? What, when we talk about this, and if anybody's heard multifamily people talk, they always, almost always talk about value plays. Well, what a value play simply is this. Are there any things that I can identify at the property where I can actually create some value by doing a few improvements and therefore boost the rental income that I can derive because of those improvements? Mm. That's called a value play. The reason why that's so important is when I told you that when you buy a property, you buy it like a business, you buy it on profits. So let's just go back to that million dollar example I talked about. We talked about that million dollar property. We said it's generating $100,000 of net operating income and, it's, and you bought it at a 10 cap, which means you paid a million bucks. Now let's say that was a value play, a value property. And let's say that because you came into that property, you were able to figure out that, hey, if I do a couple of improvements in the units, interiors of those units, Let's say that I put some granite countertops. Let's say that I put some new flooring. If Let's say that you do all that, and because of doing those improvements, you can increase the net operating income by $10,000 a year. Hmm. So you bought it, and it was making $100,000 a year. You improved it. You did some stuff to the interiors, and now you're making $110,000 a year. Now it's just a simple math equation. Guess what? You just increased the value of that property by $100,000 because – $110,000 net operating income after improvements divided by the same 10 cap rate mm. equals 1.1 million if you were to sell it. So you bought it at a million dollars because it was only making profits of $100,000. You fixed it up. Now it's making $110,000 in net operating income or profits. Now it's worth 1.1 million. Guess what? 
you just made yourself 100,000. That's why I like value plays, and that's why we only buy value plays, because we're able to buy them at the profits at the current level, right? But then we know how to fix them up, and we boost the profits, and now we, now we actually just, we, we call it forced appreciation. That's what I call forced appreciation. We created the appreciation by fixing the property, boosting the profits. Now, do you, are you still- Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it actually makes sense quite a bit. My mind's kind of moving on what you can do for value adds. Um, but for down payments, it needs to be 20, 25, 30. How, how much do you need to bring in for to, to get to get into the game? How much do you got to pony up? Um, so these days, you know, because properties have risen a lot, um, the the banks have gotten a lot smarter than they were uh, during the recession. So, you know, I was buying multifamily yeah. properties before the Great Recession. And back in those days, you know, you could buy properties practically 100% financing. Jeez. And we all know that you could buy single-family homes back then for 100% financing, but also you could also, in some cases, buy multifamily properties. In some cases, 100-unit properties for 100% financing. Wow. Well, once the recession happened, that all changed. And so nowadays, the banks are very careful about how much leverage they give you on a property. Five or six years ago, when we were coming out of the recession, it was very easy, uh, as long as you knew what you were doing and you were qualified, to get 80 to 85% financing on a property against the purchase price. And you could even get some money allocated for rehab dollars if you wanted to put some money into that. Nowadays, it's uh, with, the, with the, uh, the pricing of the properties and where the economy's at, it's more likely that you have to put down about 30%. So you're, you're probably looking at a, a loan of 70% loan to value these days for these, these multifamily properties, whereas before you would have been able to get maybe 80 to 85% financing. So that same, go back to that same example. If you're buying a million-dollar apartment property, you're going to have to come in with about $300,000 of a down payment, plus your closing costs, um, you know, and plus any rehab dollars that you want to put into the deal, right, if you want to improve it. Interesting. So you're going to have to save up some money on this. It's not, it's not going to not be not really for the faint of heart. Well, this is why I talked about oh. the power of the partnerships. The power of the partnership is, you know, you don't have to do this on your own. You can partner up with a couple of your realtor buddies, like your, your viewership. Uh, maybe you've got three or four guys in a, in a broker office, and all of you guys get together and you go chip in for an apartment property that's a million bucks. Well, suddenly each guy's coming in and buying a $250,000 virtual piece of that property. Well, that's a lot more manageable because 30% of $250,000, that's probably something that, you know, people can do these days if they really work hard at it, right? And you got to save a little money to do this, right? It doesn't just mm -hmm. happen by itself. Well, well, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to say something now, that, J and I want to watch JC's face because <laughs> be cool he's a cucumber. Because Harris, Harris, he is, but I know he's going to get a big grin. So there's there's things out there called, like, private money, and there's also, also things out there like self-directed IRAs, right? And so these are tricks that people who don't do this don't know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the assumption that when people call you JC and they come out to your course, you touch a little bit on that stuff. What I, am I correct? You're absolutely right. And you, I mean, I love what you're talking about so far. My mind is spinning. I can go a hundred ways, but you, I know I love what you're saying right now. Well, and, and I, so Greg, from, from this perspective, and I'm only gonna go high level at this because this is something that I know JC is gonna wanna get paid for when people come out, but most people think this is an illegal tactic. Let me explain to you this how, how this works. A self-directed IRA is somebody who has a, a fully vested IRA where they're saving their money. So let's say somebody has a million dollars in their IRA. So, all right, Greg, let's use you as an example. You have a million dollars in your IRA, and you are sick and tired of the 4% that the market's given you. 
Cool. And I come to you and say, listen. Wait a minute. He's I, not even there anymore. He just talked, took off to Vegas to go bet yeah. a million bucks on Ray. I'm out of here. You're gone. <laughs> I'm gone. I don't, even, I don't want to work with you. You're, you're, you're not. I don't trust you, man. You're bald. You have that's, a bald barber. That's great. All well, right. no. All right. So pretend it's oh, okay. JC. But in any case, hey, I want to. Let's say, let's say you find a property that's worth two hundred thousand dollars, and you need X amount of cash for it. Well, I'm going to turn around and give you a nice return on your money. You can take your money out of your IRA, direct it to my LLC where I go buy the property, and then I return that those that interest back to your IRA. No tax. No, no tax issues at all. So instead of you making the percentage, the 4% in the market, you're making 9% with me privately backed by a property that I'm, I'm, I'm invested in. It's a totally creative way to do it. I mean, I love what you're saying. Um, you, you talked about that. You also talked about a self-directed IRA. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to have um, 401ks that are offered as, as part of their, um, their jobs. Yep. And, um, and, 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 and while you're employed by that employer, there's really not much you can do in terms of, um, moving that money around, but you just, all you got to do is keep putting your money in that 401k and hopefully there's a company match, right? And whatever that company's matching, you want to max it out because that's free money. But at some point, if you leave that job and let's say that, like exactly what you said, let's say you've got a hundred thousand dollars that you saved up in this 401k. When you leave that job, you can actually go and roll that 401k over into a self-directed IRA, and you can take that $100,000, and you and this is all legal, you're able to self-direct that $100,000 into anything you like. It doesn't have to be the st a, st a stock or a bond, because that's the big thing with 401ks. Everybody thinks, okay, I got a 401k, I've got $100,000, so let me go put it in a mutual fund or an index yep. fund, because that's what the 401k providers tell you is what you're supposed to do. But not a whole lot of people know that if you leave that company and you still have that 401k, you can roll that over into what's called a self-directed IRA, and you can actually take those funds and go buy a real estate piece of real estate, for example, just like you would have bought a stock. You, this is all legally able to do. And so it's a great way to take that 401k and diversify away from the stock market if you want to and go buy real estate. And we have investors and partners that do that all the time with us uh, where they will go and take their 401ks, roll it over into a self-directed and put it into one of our uh, one of our deals. Interesting. It's a great way. It's a great way. So why are not why are more people not doing it, or are a ton of people doing it? They're just not talking about it. It's like that dirty little secret. The yeah. number one thing, the reason why people are not doing it is because you'd be amazed how many people don't even know that you can do yep. it. It's basically just a lack of knowledge. Um, and then the second thing is, once you understand that it is possible, you do have to do your homework and understand the the positives and negatives of it. There are some things that you generate. Um, uh, when you make a self-directed investment, and I don't want to put your 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 listeners or your viewers to sleep, but just make sure you understand <laughs> some of the nuances of how it works. But at the end of the day, it's a great way to get into real estate if you don't have the cash in your own pocket. You go to your self-directed IRA, you make it happen. Yeah, and just to be clear, you can. There's there are like like JC saying, there's certain rules. Like you can't take your own IRA money and invest it in yourself. It has to be outside the family. It can't be to your wife. Like there's rules there. Are, if And for folks that want to know about it, all you got to do is Google it. It's right on the, uh, the IRS website. Like there's, there's a whole layout as to how to, how you can do it. So it's not like people say to me all the time, that's illegal. I go, okay, see if on this, see this IRA, IRS.gov page. Do you think they're putting their stuff up there? That's illegal. No, they're telling you how to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's completely not illegal. Um, but it is something you should educate yourself on. For sure. For sure. Interesting. There's so much good stuff here. Um, 
let's do this. Let, you know, like I said in the beginning, we're going we're gonna to baby scratch your knowledge on this show today. Um, JC, for people to get into your world uh, and kind of yeah. go deep with you, get a part of your program, do some live streaming, be uh, become maybe an accredited investor with you and buy some projects, you know, how, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, if you want to get in touch with with me or with my company, I should say as well, um, you would just go to our website. You can you can look for us. Uh, my company's the name of my company is the Multifamily Property Group. So we just Google Multifamily Property Group or go to multifamilypropertygroup.com. Uh, you can go learn about our company. Um, you can learn about the um, uh, the executive team, um, and uh, and you can go to the contact us page. If you want to get in contact with us and and just have a 15 minute, we give a we give out a free 15 minute consultation with anybody that wants to hook up with us and talk a little bit more about multifamily and um, and that's something that we offer to anybody that's willing to take the time out. One five not five zero, correct? One five not five zero. I'm okay. sorry, I can't spend 50 minutes with everybody that wants it, but I can spend 15. <laughs> I, I thought I heard 50. I'm like, damn, you are generous. <laughs> <laughs> And, okay, and then Volpinator, how do people get a hold of you, and why would they get a hold of you? Hopefully they've been listening long enough to know the, the, the tagline, but GeneVolpe.com, and it's to help get increased exposure across your marketing outlets. How about that? I like it. You finally pitched yourself. Good job, buddy. Johnson's not here to do it for me. I had to say something. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, and guys, uh, of course, for me, I want you guys to go to bookmcdaniel.com and let's book uh, 30 minutes with me. Let's talk about EXP, joining our, our team of assassins, um, our tribe over EXP and how to expand and make more money just by selling real estate. So you can take some of that money, become an accredited investor and go buy apartments with JC and his team uh, and get that passive income started. ASAP, so you don't grow old and not have a pot to piss in and you're in debt up to your eyeballs. Um, but, JC, dude, you are awesome, man. Truly enjoyed having you on the show today. No problem, man. I mean, I, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to hang out with you. And, you know, as I told you before, Greg, I mean, I, this is uh, I've, I've enjoyed meeting you personally, and I'm, I definitely want to want to kind of keep it going here. Well, that's oh, for sure. That. Shut up. <laughs> that, somebody enjoyed meeting you personally. That That's the first time I've ever heard that. Well, I was told to say that before we got on air. So. Fair enough. Checks in the mail. I'm parroting what I was done, what I was told to do. Oh, my God. You guys kill me. All right. Um, Gene, you got to pick the color of the bow, homie. You got to pick last, the color of the bow. Last week we did black. orange. I thought we did black like Are Matt's you, heart. No, no, no. I, I think I picked orange last week. Um, okay, orange. Okay, so. Let's go with um a 40 percent transparent yellow 40 percent transparent yellow yes <laughs> all right we have a all right guys we are putting a 40 percent transparent <laughs> yellow bow on the you just want to hear me say that uh bow on this show uh guys thanks for watching thanks for listening please go to your itunes or stitcher give us a five-star review we love you uh we want to keep this thing going if you like jc give him a shout out in that review uh, also, we did not, we, we literally did not scratch his brain at all. And if you want to learn more, go check him out. If you want a rock star marketing, go hang out with Gene. If you guys want to join EXP, go over to bookmcdaniel.com. All right, guys, I love you mucho. And until next time, peace out, ninjas. <laughs>